they were telling me how uh, many of them record their services and they don't get a lot of the one-on-one -on -one interaction that we get even via Zoom. And uh, I just felt even more uh, excited to come and see you guys again. So it's good to, uh, good to see your faces this morning. And we are uh, continuing on with our series through Luke. Uh, and last week we looked at uh, chapter 12, and Matthew mentioned that it wasn't really going to be a two-part sermon, uh, but it's important to remember a little bit of what we talked about last week. Uh, Jesus dealt with the sin of, of covetousness, of greed, uh, and Jesus taught that we ought to seek the kingdom because we don't know when our souls might be required of us. And that same teaching applies here to, to the section we're going to be looking at this morning, um, but really, instead of dealing with covetousness and greed, he's, he's dealing with anxiety and, and the anxiety of not having enough. And both these issues uh, reveal a heart that's just totally materialistic. That's why seeking the kingdom first is the application that fits here as well. It fits for both of these teachings. So this morning, we're going to take a close look at the sin of anxiety and our faith in times of unknown. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. So if you have your copy of God's word, I'd invite you to turn there. But before, uh, before we read, let me pray and ask God's blessing on our study this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are the great provider. You provide uh, ways for us to gather that we never would have imagined a couple of months ago. You provide for us in ways that we never expect on a daily basis. You are uh, a good father who wishes to give good gifts to us. And one of those good gifts is found in your word. So we pray this morning that you would open your word to us, that we could come to know you more, come to worship you more, and come to put our faith uh, deeper and deeper in you. So Father, bless our study uh, this morning. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now Luke uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, 
with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of the word. Now, when we come to this text, there are a lot of questions that arise in my mind from Jesus' teaching. I had a lot of time to think and to meditate on this, and I kept coming back to, to hard questions. They're not easy questions to deal with at all. Questions like, where's my next meal coming from? What if I've lost my job and I don't know how or when I'm getting my next paycheck? These are tough questions. Because we look at this teaching and, and it sounds like Jesus is saying not to worry because God will supply every need and God does supply our needs. But we look at the brokenness of the world. We look out at what's going on around us and it doesn't seem like every need is being met. In fact, in January of 2019, it was estimated that there were 19,000 homeless people in Massachusetts. Where are their needs being met? These are tough questions. Now, I feel, I feel blessed that I've never had to wonder whether I would eat. I might have wondered where the next meal is coming from, but I, I knew it was coming. I never had to wonder whether I would have a coat in the winter to keep me warm. And I think many of us are in that situation. I don't think a lot of us have dealt with extreme, extreme poverty. We've never wondered about some of those things, but at some point, we have all wondered and doubted whether God is going to meet our need in a situation, whether God would provide for us. We've wondered where God is and why he feels so distant and why it feels like he's not meeting our needs. We often talk about faith, talk about our trust in God. And we, when we talk about these things, we, we know there's a head knowledge there, but when it comes to an unmet need, something right in front of us that we, that we need. This is, when we are this is when we are truly confronted with our faith in God. We, we come to this moment where we have to decide whether we're going to trust him or not. In the face of hunger, in the face of a, a missing paycheck or, or any other of our daily needs, when we don't have something, we come face to face with our faith. So we're going to look at what Jesus is teaching here, because it's about our hearts. It's less about our physical needs and more about the state of our hearts at all times. In times of plenty, as we looked at last week, and in times of want, that we'll look at this week. Jesus is confronting this faith question, and I want to be clear that he is not promising prosperity. He's not promising immense wealth. He's not promising comfort. Primarily, he's dealing with faith. So first, we're going to see that we cannot control the unknown. Second, God does control the unknown. And lastly, we're going to look at our faith during the unknown. So first, again, we can't control the unknown. Second, God controls the unknown. And third, we're going to look at our faith during the unknown. So first, we're not in control. We can't control the unknown. 
look at what Jesus does in our passage. He's building off the previous teaching, the previous parable, but he gets down to the nuts and bolts of this section in verse 25. Look at me. Look at it with me, if you will. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? There's nothing we can do by being anxious that will elongate our lives. And isn't that a helpless feeling? There's nothing we can do to lengthen our lives. We're not able to control the circumstances that we're in by worrying, by being anxious. We can't control it. And, and sometimes if we're honest, we're a lot like Piglet. You know Piglet, Winnie the Pooh's friend. Uh, he's the embodiment of anxiety and worry. There's this scene where Piglet and Pooh are, are sitting under a tree, uh, just kind of enjoying the day, enjoying the sunshine. And Piglet says, supposing a tree fell down while we were underneath it. What a, what a strange thing as you're enjoying the day for, for Piglet just to, just to say that. Supposing a tree fell down while we were underneath it. And Pooh thinks very hard for a moment. And he says, supposing it didn't. And Piglet's comforted by this. He was so worried about the possibility of a tree falling that he couldn't enjoy the sunshine, couldn't enjoy time with his friend. And so Pooh speaks the truth to him, supposing it didn't. I think this is what Christ is doing. He's speaking the truth that we are unable to add a day to our lives by being anxious about the unknown and about those things that we cannot control. And here's where we need to distinguish what Christ is talking about. He's teaching about the sin of anxiety. He's teaching about the sin of focusing on material things so deeply that it, it disturbs us. It disturbs our lives. It disturbs our faith. We cannot take this passage alone. Uh, we can't take this single teaching about anxiety and say this is, this is the totality of all of the teaching on material things in scripture. It's, it's no coincidence that this follows chapter 11, that it's placed just after Christ teaches us how to pray. And we just prayed the Lord's Prayer together just a few moments ago. And it's in that Lord's Prayer that we are told to pray for our daily bread. So Christ is not saying, don't think about it. He's saying, don't fall prey to the sin of anxiety, of focusing so much on the material. It's perfectly natural to want to eat, to have a home, to want to have clothing. Food and, and clothing and shelter are good gifts from God that he's given to us for our safety, our health, our protection, and, and even our enjoyment. He's given us these gifts. But the obsession over the gifts, the anxiety over the gifts, the sin of being more focused on these things rather than the giver of the gifts is what we are to guard against. Both the, the section previous to ours and our text this morning deal with this materialism. We're not to be so concerned, so focused on the material that we neglect the God who created who sustains and who gives all things. This is what Christ is teaching. He's teaching that life is more than food. Verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Christ is not saying that these things are not important. They, they certainly are. But Christ says there's more to life than this. There is an element of 
of faith that must be present even in the unknown. You cannot control the unknown. So in those moments when you're not sure whether you'll have enough, you're not sure if you'll be able to pay that bill, to get your car fixed, to pay your rent, don't be so fixated on the material things to the point that you forget to trust the God who created all those things. You can't control the unknown circumstances, and therefore we ought to be more focused on the creator and the sustainer of life. And I think that's Jesus' whole reason for what he's teaching. He is so intimately acquainted with the Father that he trusts the Father beyond measure. He trusts that God is in control, even in the unknown. Remember, it's said of Jesus, he had no place to lay his head. And yet he did not fall to the sin of anxiety because he trusts that God is in control, even in the unknown. Look back at, uh, at verse 24 with me. It says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. So what's Jesus saying here? He says that God provides for the ravens. Now, what do you know about ravens? I didn't know a whole lot. I had to look some up. Per, perhaps you might know that they're, they're scavengers. They're often a symbol of... Uh, impending doom in different mythologies and stories, or perhaps you know that poem by Edgar Allan Poe where he's tormented by that raven tapping at his chamber door. But ravens in Jewish ceremonial law were considered unclean. You weren't allowed to eat a raven or even touch them, perhaps, and you'd be considered unclean. You wouldn't be allowed to worship in community. You wouldn't be uh, certainly allowed in the temple. So Jesus takes this unclean animal and points out that God feeds the ravens, and then he expands on it. God feeds the ravens. How much more valuable are you than birds? He doesn't stop there. He continues. In, in the same way, he points out lilies, flowers of the field. He points out how, how beautiful they are. Consider the lilies, he says in verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now what a statement to make here. Every Jewish person knows who Solomon was. They know of his wealth. They know of the grandeur of his palace. They know of the beauty and the glory of the temple that he built for the Lord and, and the glory of that temple was such that when the second temple was built, when uh, the temple whose uh, last wall is still standing in, in Israel today, when that temple was built, the people kind of looked at it and went, uh, it's not what we thought Solomon's was like. Several hundred years later, they still remember the grandeur of Solomon's temple, and they're disappointed in what's been built before them. That is... Solomon's glory. That is his beauty. And Christ says the lilies are arrayed more beautifully than Solomon. But then Jesus does something fascinating. After drawing this uh, picture of the beauty of the flowers of the field, he switches and he calls these flowers grass. We don't think of grass in the same way we think of lilies or of, or of other flowers. 
Grass is what was used in Israel in, in place of wood if you needed a quick fire. It was their microwave. If you wanted to get something hot, really hot, really quick, grab some of the dead grass, throw it in the fire, heat up your food quickly, and so you wouldn't have to waste precious wood on that. It says that God so clothes the grass which is thrown into the fire, then how much more will he clothe you? We forget the supreme value with which God views his children, the way God views us. C.S. Lewis says this about humanity in, in his book, The Weight of Glory. He writes, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. He means in glory, when we see each other, when we have uh, the glory of God surrounding us in eternity with him, if we were to see each other the way we might appear then, we right now, we might be tempted to worship each other. Lewis goes on. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, or even exploit. Lewis has a view of humanity here that I think we often forget. We forget that you and I and every single person we interact with has been given an eternal soul. I think that's one thing Jesus is pointing out to us in this passage. It's why he says, is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing because jesus knows that it is more than food it's more than clothing our life will go on to eternity either in fellowship with our good father or we'll go on to eternity experiencing the full weight of god's wrath in hell now we tend to think of murder or adultery or or blasphemy as the really serious sins of those sins deserving that latter punishment but white lies those little white lies that we tell sometimes gossip the sin of anxiety we see those as maybe something not so serious however if we're honest we're all guilty of this sin at sometimes we can be anxious to the point that we stop trusting god we think that if we focus on on the need on the material things that we will be safe that if we just had enough then everything would be fine but in the same way that totally focusing on on gaining more and more as we looked at last week being greedy and covetousness, so it is with the sin of anxiety. You may be so focused on just getting what you need that you may forget that your soul may be required of you, and you don't know when. But woven into our text is God himself. In those uncertain times, in those times where we wonder whether God will meet our needs, he's given us the answer. God has given us himself. Notice what it says in verse 24 concerning the ravens. And yet God feeds them. And down in verse 28, if God so arrays the lilies, there he is again. And then in verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
God has shown himself to be our provider. He's our shepherd and we, the little flock. We're the sheep who cannot protect ourselves. We cannot feed ourselves. We can't even use our own wool to clothe ourselves. And yet it is our father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Through all the unknown, all the uncertainty, there is but one thing that is sure. The only thing we can be certain of is that God is in control of the unknown. He will give us what we need. And I want to be clear here. As I said before, this is not a promise of wealth. This is not a promise of material security. Because verse 23 must be kept in mind. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? We may not have the full picture of what our needs are. But what better security could we ask for than to serve a God that gave up his son to die for us on the cross and be raised again and give us eternal life and fellowship with him? If you are anxious about the things around you, what better comfort could you have than to know that that circumstance is temporary? That if you belong to Christ, then the fear of of not having enough begins to fade. God is our rock and our foundation. In the midst of uncertainty, God has given us the assurance of his provision. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, I write these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. God has given us assurance that his blessing of eternal life is given to all those who believe in Jesus. And that promise is sure. That is certain. And it cannot be moved by any circumstance in this world. God is in control, even in the unknown. So if you are willing to trust him with your soul, with your eternity, so why not trust him with where your next meal is coming from? And I I realize in some way that it doesn't exactly answer the question of, of what to do when we don't have enough. Sometimes we still feel we, we, we might trust him with our soul, and I, and I pray that all of you do, and, and I know that many of you, most of you, love the Lord. Sometimes we still feel that it isn't meeting our needs on earth. In this passage, I think we're even given the answer of how to avoid the sin of anxiety when we don't have enough. We're being called to faith. Many ways, we're being called to faith during times of our unknown. In times of want and in, and in times of need, uh, this passage points out that we're in those. And still it calls us to faith. We're called to be totally reliant on God. Christ says in verse 28, How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? All the nations of the earth seek these things. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. So here, Christ is calling us to faith. Do we not believe that God is sovereign? Do we not believe that the God who created us with skin and with stomachs knows that we need food and clothing? Did not the God who put the first people in the garden surround them with food to provide for them? And after the fall, did God not actually clothe his people? Physical things, physical needs are what all people have to face. 
and God knows this. We can almost get the sense here that Christ is calling our faith to be based on common sense. Take what you know about God and trust him to be who he has revealed himself to be. Trust him with your physical needs. Now, I, I have to admit that this is something uh, I struggle with immensely. When it comes right down to it, I have to ask myself, do I really say to God, your will be done when it comes to my food, when it comes to money, to student loans, to debt, to a deadline on an assignment or a sermon? Do I really say to God, your will be done in all of these things? Now, there have been times when I, I have needed something and I was anxiously ignoring God. And it's in those moments that we are called to trust him. We should trust him to provide that which we need in order for him to accomplish his will. It may be his will that we miss a payment. It may be his will that we miss a meal. But he will provide. In our comfort, in the, in the relative wealth in which we live. It's difficult for us to believe that if we, if we need something, we ought to pray about it, and we ought to expect that God will provide. But that is exactly, that is exactly what these recent chapters in Luke have been all about. Christ taught us to pray. He taught us how to pray and what to pray for. And so we ought to to pray as we do in the Lord's uh, prayer. We ought to pray to be kept from sin and kept from temptation. Uh, we ought to pray that God's will be done, and we ought to pray that our daily bread be given to us. Christ goes on to teach more about prayer in Luke chapter 11. Um, and so Luke 11, uh, beginning in verse 9, it says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, we have a, a good father who wants to provide for us. We have a good father who desperately wants to give us the kingdom. And I don't mean to say that God is desperate. He is not desperate. That's not what I mean. But God is full of love. And he wants to give us the kingdom. We have but to ask for those things we need. To ask in faith for our will to be the same as God's. That he make us more like him, and that his will be done in our lives, and to ask faithfully for those things that we need, and it will be given to us. This is, again, not the promise of prosperity or immense wealth or comfort, but this is the promise of a good father to his children, children he views with such love that we, we cannot comprehend it. Lewis was right, I think, to acknowledge humanity the way that he does. And I can't imagine understanding humanity the way that God does. I can't imagine the immense love that God has for us. And I think if we understood that, then our faith would never falter. 
but we are of so much more value than the ravens, so much more value than the lilies. So trust your needs to your father who wants to give us what we need. He wants to give us the kingdom. Now, the final verse in our section is rightly what I think we should conclude with. Where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Where is our heart? Is our heart making an idol out of meeting our physical needs? Is our heart trying to get to the point where we can say to our soul, I have enough, let me rest? Or is our treasure in God? Is our treasure in the God who gave up his son to meet our eternal needs? Is the God who created food and clothing and all things our treasure? Do not be anxious. Be generous. Instead of anxious, be generous. That verse in the middle there, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Step out in faith. Trust God with your physical needs and place your treasure in God. Submit your physical desires, your physical needs to him. Don't just trust your eternal future to him, but trust your present right now to him. In the midst of the unknown that we cannot control, know that God does control it. He's calling us to faith, even faith right now in the midst of whatever physical needs you might be facing. So won't you pray with me and let's ask God to meet our needs. Heavenly Father, you are a good father who is full of love for his people. And Father, we believe that. But Father, we are sinners and we acknowledge that we are in need of your grace new more every day. So Father, meet our needs. Draw those who don't know you. Draw them to yourself. Meet their needs that way. Father, we, we know that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Father, you have uh, met our needs for our soul. And Father, we ask that you now uh, meet our physical needs. We are in the midst of a pandemic. Many of us are, are very isolated, very lonely. Father, we ask for your comfort. We ask for an end to this disease that no more lives would be lost. And Father, we ask that your will be done in all things, in the world around us and in our very lives. We ask that your will be done in all things. So Father, as we continue on in this strange state of affairs that we find ourselves, meet our needs. Because you have said that you want to. So Father, we ask you to remember what you have said to your people and to meet our needs. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear God's good word for you, his benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.